the text that I have that I've been given for this morning is Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30. But I'm also going to read verses 36 to 43. So starting at verse 24. Jesus presented another parable to them, that's the crowd that he's been speaking to, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore again, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said to them, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then verse 36. Then Jesus left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, and the, seed, the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that this time around your word will be profitable in your sight. Lord, I don't know of any stick more crooked than me, but I pray, God, that you can draw a straight line with it. For, Lord, your word is true. Your word is pure. Your word is perfect. Many things I'm not. I pray, God, for balance in this and that your people, that we will all be blessed by it. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. I don't think I've ever lost sleep over a preaching arrangement before, but given the, the subject of this text, I've been wanting to be very careful to be balanced because there's two ditches that we could fall into here. There's the one ditch where I say, this is what Jesus says, but it doesn't matter. There's the other ditch that says, you're all going to hell, you've got no hope. And there's variations in that spectrum. But this is a serious word that our Lord gives. And it's something that I want to treat fairly, gently, firmly, clearly, but knowing that it's not me speaking here from, from a great height to you people. This is for us. As I've been reading this, it has been challenging me, causing me some discomfort. And I, and I hope that it's not going to cause discomfort for people, but I hope it will grow from it. It'll give us opportunity and cause to check our own hearts. 
got to pronounce that right, hearts. Hannah has commented, why do you want to give your hat to the Lord? <laughs> so we start off with Jesus telling another parable. We've heard about the parable of the sower, and now we're coming to another parable that's about the, the farming community. And this is about the kingdom of heaven, which may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. It's, it's important to note. It's a, it's a, it may sound like a silly distinction. This isn't the kingdom of heaven is like the man. This is the kingdom of heaven is like the situation of a man who is sowing good seed in his field. And this parable is to illustrate the situation. What is the field? Well, Jesus has made it clear. The field is the world. And what we have is the, the, good, the good farmer, the good sow, the sower, sowing the good seed into the world. Now, one of the battles, or one of the things about this is, do we speak about this in terms of the world and its sin and the tares in the world, or are we talking about the church and the tares in the church? Now, I'm going to touch on both, but it's interesting, just a little bit of inside baseball, it won't be too long here, but it is interesting to understand that throughout the church ages, this has been a question. The early church understood this to mean the, the global church, the church in general. We're talking here, this parable is about the church. Uh, one of the early church fathers, Augustine, um, he made use of this understanding when he was dealing with a group called the Donatists. Now, the Donatists, long, long time ago, they were quite trigger-happy with the old excommunication bullet. They loved executing, uh, not executing, excommunicating people. <laughs> Mind you... I'm sure some people have gotten those two mixed up as well. They were really keen to excommunicate people. And uh, Augustine used this argument to say the presence of, the, of the, the tares, or the presence of evil in the visible church is a necessary thing. And we hear references to it in the New Testament where it even implies in one part that says that the, the, the presence of the evil within a visible church is necessary to show what is the true in the visible church. I mean, what are you on about the visible church? Well, there's the visible church and the invisible church. It's not a concept that, that's mentioned and specified in Scripture, like this is the visible church, but it's something that's been drawn out in that the visible church is what people can see. As people drive down the road, they can see churches all over the place, and they're full of people, hopefully full of people, but they've got people in them. They're the visible church. But not everybody who goes to church is a Christian. And so the invisible church is every Christian. See, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. I remember when that came as a shock to me. I hope it's not coming as a shock to you today, but if it has, maybe you need to listen, because not everyone who goes to church is a Christian. So the invisible church is every true believer throughout the whole world. They are part, we are part of that invisible church. The visible church could be described as this field here where the tares are in. And so Augustine was saying that there will be tares, there will be evil sinners, there will be people who don't believe within a visible church. 
Now, to my mind, I'm going to look at this primarily from the view of the church, but I am going to touch on the world. And the reason, my reasons for that is that this is a parable about the kingdom in the world. So we're talking about the kingdom here. And in verse 41, Jesus does say that the angels will gather from out of his kingdom, the tares. So that's the angle I'm going to take, and that's why. For those of you who care, that's why. And I might be wrong, and it's not one of those things where if you don't believe me, then you're going to hell. It really isn't that. That's not really not the case. So let's go. The seed is good. Jesus has made it clear that the seed represents the sons of God, the sons of heaven, the people who are brought to life by the gospel. If you're a Christian, you're good before God. Is that a good thing to be? Is that a good place to start? Good before God. It's good seed. The gospel is pure. All that comes from God is good. And these are the sons of God, people who belong to God. The wheat, they say wheat. I don't know why I'm saying wheat all of a sudden. I've always said wheat. Wheat a bit. So wheat a bit. hasn't got H. Anyway, sorry. The wheat, we belong to him. This is a wonderful place to start. We belong to God. If someone owns you, it's God. If you're a Christian, you have been purchased. And it wasn't cheap. If you're a Christian, you've been purchased by Jesus himself, and it cost him his life. It cost him his, his blood to purchase you. So that's a good place to start to know that we belong with someone, and we belong somewhere in the kingdom. We belong to him, and we are his by his grace. But it says, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. Now, these tares, I've, I've often thought of them as weeds. And weeds seem to me as quite harmless. If you saw a lawn, you'd understand why you think they're quite harmless. But this isn't weeds. This isn't just simple weeds. Tares here are a kind of darnel. Now, I thought darnel was a person's name. But darnel is apparently a kind of, a, is a plant that grows that looks like wheat. It looks like it, except when it's older, when, the, when they've both matured, there is a difference that can be seen. And Daniel can sometimes also be poisonous. And this was a practice that people did in those days, where they would go and, and, and throw tares into someone's field because it would destroy their livelihood. It would destroy their, 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 way, their, their way of life because their means of income, their means of food, has suddenly been polluted by this Daniel or by these, this wheat. And I also find this an interesting detail where it says that while the men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. That's an interesting detail to put in because, to my mind, this parable would have been just as complete without that detail. I'd assume that they've gone away. That Jesus felt the need to say, that, and they went away. God uses people to achieve wonderful works of love, but the enemy likewise does the same, but for, for death. To be honest... I don't need the devil to make a mess of my life. I'm perfectly good at it myself. I'm really good at it. And we have a tendency, well, not so much these days, I think, maybe back in the 80s, I remember, the devil was everywhere. Everything was a demon. No matter, I went through a spell when I was a teenager. I used to have headaches every Sunday. I don't know why. I used to have a headache every Sunday. And there's a guy in my church who swore that I had the spirit of Sunday headaches. 
and he wanted to deliver me of the spirit of... I mean, he didn't call it that, but that's effectively what this spirit was doing, was giving me Sunday headaches. It was a diet thing, because they stopped. You know, we can see the devil everywhere, and so we want to blame the devil. Oh, he's here, he's there. You know, we can, sometimes we can pick on the Roman Catholics because they see pictures of Jesus and Mary and everything. Like, here's a picture of Jesus and a half tomato. But we, but we used to see the devil everywhere. But I can't blame the devil because of my temptations. I've got sin in here. And we can easily say that, but we have to understand that I, if I've got sin in here that can cause me trouble, I've got sin in here that can cause you trouble. So this is why I want to emphasize, this is serious. For some people here, this may be eternally critically serious. But what I don't want to lay on everyone is such a heavy burden to say, you guys are scum, I'm just wonderful. We are living in God's kingdom but we are being reformed, we are being purified, we are being sanctified, we're not there yet. But living in God's kingdom means that he hasn't gone away and his presence is guaranteed because I need him. To be devilish, I only need to be mindful of the things of man. Isn't that interesting what Jesus said to Peter when Peter tried to distract Jesus from being crucified? Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified. Peter says, no, you're not. Don't be silly. That's not going to happen to you. What did Peter, Jesus say? Get thee behind... Get thee, speaking in James English now. Get behind me, Satan, because you're not mindful of the things of God, but the mindful of the things of man. Now, I would have thought the devil is mindful of the things of the devil, but he's mindful of the things of man, using human thinking, humanistic thinking. And Peter, with all his good intention, and believe Peter's intention was really good, but thinking like a human, no, Jesus, you're my best friend. I don't want you crucified. Thinking like a human. To be devilish only requires, I think, like a human. But to be mindful of things of God takes the Holy Spirit, and he has given his Holy Spirit. Verse 26, But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The tares are young. When they are young, they look like wheat, but eventually the presence of tares became evident. In the field, tares are seen, for they eventually look like tares. The people, the workers, now I mistook the workers for angels. The, the, the reapers are the angels. The workers are not the angels. And they can see, they're looking at the field, and they can see imperfections. And as they look at the field, they say to their master, Master, didn't you sow good seed into that field? Well, how is there tears in there now? Because they know that their master sowed good seed. They know they've got a good master. And they're puzzling, this is supposed to be good. But I can see bad in there. That's just wrong. There shouldn't be bad in there. Don't we sometimes get disillusioned when we look at a church with, with, and think, that should be perfect, why isn't it perfect? And we get frustrated. Well, and then when I get frustrated, I have to be reminded that I'm part of the church's imperfection. If there's problems in Bethel, I'm one of them. We can look at the church and see that imperfection. And so the, the workers are saying, there's imperfections here, Lord. Is this right? We look at the world and we can see what the tears can do. I mean, we've been talking, hearing about Afghanistan. I mean, if there's a hellish place on earth right now, especially for Christians or non-Muslims, non-radical Muslims, may I add, that's a place. Try North Korea. There are places where it's hell on earth for people, to, what they're enduring. 
And we can, but, but the earth is beautiful. You just go for a walk, even to Haley Park, and it's just beautiful greenery. Day like this, I recommend it. Fresh air, beautiful green, stunning. We see a beautiful world, but it's marred by what people do in selfishness, in sin, in evil, in wickedness, in rebellion against God. We see a beautiful world corrupted and destroyed. We can look at churches with grieving saints because of what tears are doing in the churches. In the context of the world, we have been put here to grow alongside these people, these influences, these tears. Now, something I forgot to mention at the start that I think is important to mention. We can easily take parables out of context and stretch them into places where they're not supposed to go. For example, here we're talking about wheat, believers, and tares, unbelievers. Does that mean that every unbeliever who's an unbeliever today is going to go to hell? Well, not if they turn to Christ. This isn't talking about the conversion. This is talking about a state, a situation. This isn't a parable that talks about how people come to know the Lord. There are many of those, and we're going to talk about that because we don't want to leave people in the lurch. But here we're talking specifically about this situation, and in the context of the church, we are growing up among tares. We are believers growing up among unbelievers. We are sheep being sent out among wolves, physically at a disadvantage. In the context of the world, though, this is where God has put us because this is where his kingdom is. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. We are the kingdom of God. He has made us such. And so the kingdom of God present on earth in the believers, in us. So despite what politicians say, this is God's world and he is in charge. We know where the tears have come from. He also knows where the tares have come from, and he knows where they are going. But this is his world, his kingdom, his world. To sound like a pub landlord, his gaff, his rules. And it's only going to last for so long like that. In the context of the church, though, there's an element of fear with regard to identifying the tares. So many churches, people would say that every church has members that aren't believers. Understand, I am not saying this with people in mind. Okay, I'm not saying this with a person, a member of Bethel, in my mind thinking they probably need to hear this because I doubt they're a believer. It's not. That's not where I'm coming from. But it's a truth. Many, many churches, if not all churches, have members who are not believers, who are holding on to that membership as an indication that they belong to God. I've heard of pastors who have come to a church to start ministering and working there as a pastor only to find that a third of the diaconate aren't saved. I'm not commenting on Bethel's diaconate. <laughs> but it's a sobering thought. For a long time I thought that I was a Christian because I was raised to go to church. I went to church in the morning and in the evening. I went to church on a Wednesday evening. I even went to youth rallies. I thought I was a Christian because I did all that and I did nice things like listening to Radio 2 at the time the music was tasteful. <laughs> I thought that because of all that, that made me a decent church-going Christian. It was a shock when I realized it doesn't. I remember the day I was throwing stones at the neighbor's dog. <laughs> Rex, his name was. And the lady came out and shouted at me and says, you're old enough to know better. 
And I went back to my house and I said to my dad, Audrey said that I sh I'm old enough to know better, but she doesn't even go to church. I said those words. I'm grateful that my dad knows the gospel. And he gave me a delivery of the gospel that day. You see, this, as you're talking about the tears, this isn't necessarily about picking on behaviors. I'm not going to name specific things because either people are going to think I'm picking on them and condemning them to hell, or people are going to think, well, he didn't name mine, so I'm safe. This isn't about behaviors as such, but about our relationship with Jesus. Because it's, I think that there's a, not necessarily a healthy, but a positive place to be. When we think of Mark chapter 14, when Jesus said to the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. What do the disciples say? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And, I, I, and at least that's better. I think it was better that they asked that than later on when they were arguing about who was the best. Well, actually, I'm the best. Well, a few minutes ago, you thought you might have been a betrayer. You know, it's, we need to examine our hearts to check what's going on inside because there's a shock to coming to some people. There are people who today are convinced that they are in that wonderful, loving relationship with Jesus, and they're not. And we see an example of this in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus tells them at judgment, depart from me, you who are working lawlessness, because I never knew you. And yet those people thought they did. Well, they thought they knew him, but he's saying, I never knew you. So, can you see the balance trying to strike? I don't want people thinking I'm not good enough to be a Christian because the truth is you're not. Jesus makes us good enough. But I don't want everyone thinking, well, that's okay, it doesn't really matter, it doesn't mean what it says. It does mean what it says. When Jesus said that, there were people who were convinced that they were on their way to heaven and he made it clear to them that they're not. And I don't want anyone here on that path. And that includes me. I have to ask these questions of myself. We have to check ourselves here. And we will address this. This may be an opportunity for us to check our hearts, assess where we are, and maybe for some of us the first time to come to Jesus and be saved. The account goes on. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. We can see a beautiful world out there, and it is marred by sin. That sin may hurt us, offend us, make us angry. Why didn't God take it out? Within the visible church, we can also see the signs of tears, the signs of sin as denominations abandon scripture and endorse sin. When I hear about churches that declare that there's no actual reason that Jesus had to die for our sins, I mean, God would just be spiteful and a horrible person if he insisted that someone had to die for, to forgive us our sins. He's just forgiven us the death of something else. When things like that come into a church, that is tears, that is sin, because that distracts from the gospel and the work of Jesus. We talk about things of first importance and second importance and third importance. And there are second importance, th importance things like, should you celebrate Christmas? Now, it's up to you if you want to celebrate Christmas or not. If you do, do it for the Lord. And if you don't, don't do it for the Lord. But there are other things like when we talk about the gospel and what Jesus did and what his death meant. When people are denying that sort of thing, when people take scripture and say, well, it doesn't mean that. When they ask the first deceitful question, did God really say that? 
when things like that are entering churches, and there are other things which we're aware of, and I don't want to be talking about them because, again, getting specifics, it wasn't me, we can see that there are things entering into churches that ought not to be there. But this doesn't render every member of a church or a denomination that does that a a sinner that can't be saved because we see evidence of the presence of the tares. It doesn't mean that every member there, oh, because you go to that church that believes this, this wretched thing, then you're not a Christian. We can't say that because this is a central belief of this. We don't know. I can't read anyone's heart. I can't read your heart, you can't read my heart. And if we think about it, most of the arguments that take place in our world, in our lives, in our churches, are because we believe we know what's in someone else's heart. I know why you said that. I know why you looked at me like that. I know why you didn't talk to me that day. I know what's going on. You're thinking this, you're thinking that. And it just builds up and builds up and it builds up. And we have divisions, we have splits, we have hurts. And yet God doesn't take it away. God, why don't you take away the, the tears? And this is the wonderful truth. He, t- doesn't, he doesn't take them away for the sake of the wheat. If you're a believer here today, he's not taking that away for your sake, for my sake. Because in doing that, it would cause so much pain, so much sorrow, that people can be uprooted because they are so close in vicinity to someone who would otherwise be uprooted. Now, I mentioned Augustine, who argued with a group of people, the Donatists, who liked their excommunications. Well, such things as an excommunication can be necessary. They are always painful, always bruising for the flock. Always. God does not want to uproot the wheat with the tares. Growing together, their roots will have intermingled so you'd have in the field, you'd have tares growing, you'd have wheat growing, and under the ground, their roots would be joined up and all intermingled under the soil, and pulling up the tares would pull up the wheat. Growing together, their roots are intermingled. Now, in this account, in this parable, the slaves, it's the slaves who offer to take out the tares. And we don't know who the tares are. Remember that. We don't know who the tares are. You see, we think, well, why do we excommunicate then? Isn't it to kick people out of the church? No, an excommunication, the purpose of that is in the hope that they will come back. That's what Paul says, to put someone out of the church in the hope that they will come back in. That's the purpose of that. And also, for example, I'm not talking about people who are battling against sin. This is another important distinction that I need to make. Because there are people here, I'm sure there will be, who are battling sin. You have got that besetting sin in your life and you know that it's sin and you know that it's wrong and you are fighting it. And some battles you win, some battles you lose and you're holding on to that final redemption when we are finally saved, where we are finally made perfect and you can put that forever behind you. But right now it's like a cross. It's like a cross to bear and you're struggling with that. I'm not talking about you when I'm talking about tears. I'm talking about people who have seen that sin and think it's great, think it's wonderful, think it's justified, who know that God doesn't have a problem with it because, well, he doesn't, does he? So let's be clear about this. Someone who's battling sin, you've got that thing that, battle, that hits you every night, hits you every day, and you, you know it's wrong. This isn't a beat on you. 
I promise you this is not to beat on you. But God, in his care for his own, says no to uprooting the tares, and we Christians should take note of that. The truth remains, however, that the day of judgment is coming. This is getting more uncomfortable, if I'm honest. Uncomfortable as it is to consider ourselves in a text like this. Uncomfortable as it is to speak to people about this kind of thing. It does afford us an opportunity to check our hearts examine our motives and understand why we think God should allow us into his kingdom. That's always a good question to ask ourselves. Why should God allow me into his kingdom? Why should God allow you into his kingdom? I heard a wonderful story. I've shared it on a, on a few socials. Hey, that's on the trend, isn't it? I'm, I'm very street now. I said socials. Um, of a man who's talking about the, uh, the guy who was on the cross, the thief who repented on the cross, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And it speaks of how he approached the gates. And as he got to the gates, the angels said, oh, right, um, why are you here? And the man says, oh, I'm not really sure. But where do you stand on the doctrine of justification by faith alone? Oh, I'm not really sure about that. What about the doctrine of scripture? Oh, I don't know. Let me go and get my supervisor. So he goes and gets the This isn't my story. Anyone watching on telly, you're going to comment on YouTube and say, I know it's not my story, right? And, so he gets, and I don't tell you it as well either. He goes and gets his supervisor, and the supervisor says, well, do you know why you're here? He says, uh, no, so what, what authority have you got to be here? And the man simply says, the man on the middle cross said it could come. That's your only basis. That's our only basis for believing that God is going to welcome us into his kingdom. Jesus said we could come. Because Jesus paid for our sins. Jesus made the way clear. He's given us his righteousness. Any reason that you may have to enter God's kingdom starts with because I, you want to scrap that straight away. It's not because I, it's because he, because of what Jesus has done. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. It's not about I'm going to analyze how many good works I did versus bad works. That's not it. It's about do you know Jesus? How's your relationship with Jesus? Do you love Jesus? When you read God's law, do you love it? I'm not asking are you keeping it perfectly. I'm asking do you love it? Do you see in the word the, 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 the revelation of the most beautiful person in all of eternity? That's the kind of th questions you want to look at. Not, oh, well, I, I did say something nasty to Hannah, and I did say this, but I did buy flowers for Sarah yesterday, so that's a plus, right? It doesn't work like that at all. The tears out there are one thing, but what about the tears in here? What about the tears in here? Are you trusting in Jesus or your good behavior? Is your trust in Jesus or in your decent tradition? Are your good morals going to carry you through to glory? Are you delighting in your sin or do you hate it? Do you hate God's word? Is Jesus inconsequential to you? Are you feeling uncomfortable? Do you know that you're a tear? Someone who thinks they're a Christian but isn't is in a far more precarious situation than an atheist who gladly declares that he's not a Christian. 
if this is you, if I'm talking about you, maybe you've been to ch- going to church for a hundred years, none of you look old enough to have done that, but you know what I mean. Maybe you've been going to church for as long as you can remember, but inside, you know there's something missing. That relationship with Jesus, isn't it? You've behaved impeccably. You may have behaved better than every Christian ever, but you know that that relationship with Jesus is missing. If that is you, run to Jesus now. Run to him. Run to the one who loves you. Run to the one who will save you. Run to the one who's got the grace to forgive you for all your sins. He's not going to say, well, you've been pretending for all these years. These years, I'm going, to for- I'm going to ignore you. No, come to him. He died for your sins. He died to forgive you your sins. So this isn't to beat you over the head and for everyone to tease you and go, oh, we thought you were a Christian, but now we found out you weren't. It doesn't matter what they say. If they say that, maybe they've got their own problems. Because the truth is, Jesus loves you. He came to seek and save the lost. And sometimes the lost don't know the lost. So if this is you, please, you need Jesus. Run to Jesus who will love you no matter how long you've been going to church. Run to Jesus. Don't end up in the fire. Don't hide. If you're not living in his grace, note again I'm saying living in his grace. I'm not asking are you living perfectly. If you're not living in his grace, turn to him. It doesn't matter that you think you know him. Does he know you? That knowledge, you see, that's something that caught me out when I was younger. Reading when Jesus says, I, know, I do not know you. I think, well, that must mean there's things that Jesus doesn't know. How can that happen? But that word know means an intimate knowledge. It's an intimate knowledge that two people have who are close friends. That word know is used in a different context, but for closeness in the Old Testament, where it says that Adam knew his wife and they had a child. Now that's just saying, that's not Adam saying, oh, I know, you leave. There's been more than that. There's an intimate in that knowledge. And Jesus is saying to those people in that passage, go away from me, depart from me. I do not know you. There's no intimacy. And you may have religion nailed down. You may have religion just perfect, but still not have a knowing relationship with Jesus. Please, go to him. It's not not penance. It's not saying you must give a certain amount of money. It's not that you have to give any money. It's not that you have to do anything like that. Just come to Jesus and know your sins forgiven, trusting in him to take away your sin and to give you his righteousness. As I said, though, I want to emphasize this again. To people who are battling sin, don't panic. That's a good sign that you're battling sin. We all are. We're all works in progress. This warning is for those who aren't works in progress. And I'm saying all this, I have no individual in mind except for myself. We have been challenged last week when John said, have you got ears to hear? Do you remember that at the end of the message? That challenge? It's he who has ears to hear, hear what he's saying. And that challenge at the end, have you got ears to hear? If you haven't, then you're among the tares. What do you do? Go to the one who makes the deaf hear. If I haven't got ears to hear, I go to the one who opens the ears. And now, here, if I'm one of the tares, I run to the one who saves sinners. 
You may be hurting for a broken world ruined by the sons of the evil one. Your heart may be breaking for hurt caused by division and other sin in churches which have hurt so many. You may want to reach out and heal suffering saints. You may want God to deal with the results, with the faults in the church, global or local. But God seems to be taking too long. Be patient. This parable is dealing with the people's end state. And the people who may be tears today may be weak tomorrow. They may fall down as tares today and be raised up again as wheat tomorrow. Let's pray for that. This isn't, one f- this isn't a parable for Christians to feel self-righteous and sit back and tut at everyone who isn't like them. This is a parable that should put a little rocket up us and say we need to get going because there are people out there who need to know the gospel. With love, we are to speak truth to one another but we mustn't see uprooting as our ministry. Uprooting is not your calling. You may visit some websites and you swear that uprooting is their ministry. They've got the divine ministry, the calling, the gift of uprooting. No, that's not our calling. Verse 30. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, first gather up the, the, the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Jesus said of this, the Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is serious. There is a reckoning coming. This is serious on a global church level to those people who are sowing seeds of of stumbling blocks and lawlessness into the church globally. This is serious for us as well. I can't think of anyone here I I don't like. I I think you're wonderful, all of you. I'd hate to think that anyone here is heading to that fire. As I said, I've got nobody in mind. The wheat will be gathered. The word here for gathered has a positive, happy feel about it. It's like an assembly. It's like, oh, let's, get, let's get together and have fellowship. Let's be together and, and be bound together in fellowship and love. The word bound there is a positive thing. And the people and the, 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 the binding of the, that, that positivity will be to go into God's barn, will be to go into God's kingdom. That's a wonderful thing to look forward to. And we have that assurance in Jesus. Please, believer, remember that. We have that beautiful assurance. We are his. We belong in his kingdom. This world is just a forecourt. This is just a foyer before we go into the main attraction. So that's the gathering of the, of the wheat, but the binding of the tares is something different. It's an altogether more negative word with allusions to imprisonment. And as if the tares being bound wasn't enough, they will also be burned. How can I soften this up? How can I try and be nice about this section? Like, oh, it doesn't really matter. It's not really going to happen. What Jesus is really talking about is something that, uh, that only happened to Hitler and no one else. I deserve to have this happen to me. We deserve this because we have all rebelled against God's law. It's by God's grace 
that this isn't going to happen to any of us. But let this be a warning. If you know in your heart that you are a tear, really, it's not with joy as I say this, it's with maximum discomfort and sorrow. This is what's waiting you. If you don't run to Jesus. Are you someone who has spent a long time hating God? Don't spend eternity gnashing your teeth in anger. Receive the gift of life that is found only in Jesus. Trust in him to have forgiven all your sins. If you've lived your life, all your life, not being a Christian, not trusting in Jesus. I say being a Christian, and that's a label that's applied so much. If, you're living your, if you've lived all your life not trusting in Jesus, you can turn today. This is the invite for you, that Jesus will forgive all your sins. You might say, well, you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know. Jesus does, and he will forgive all your sins. You turn to him, no matter how heinous your crime, no matter how much time you had to do in prison for it, no matter how rejected by society you are for what you did, Jesus will forgive your sins. Turn to him. Trust in him. All your sins will be forgiven. And not only that, but he will give you his righteousness, his goodness. Those weeping may well be there because they know they missed the opportunities they had to respond to the gospel. There'd be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The gnashing of teeth symbolizes anger, people hating God in hell. The weeping, please don't be one of those who weeps. As you may recall this service or another service you've been to where you could have had the opportunity to turn to Christ. Even if it's to turn to Christ, you've, you've professed but with your mouth all your life, but your heart has been away. You can turn to him today. Please don't be among those who are weeping in eternity. These weeping in eternity may have been the, the, the good churchgoers who never meant any harm to anyone, but who never knew their sins forgiven. This has been the hardest sermon for me to preach because I want to get the balance. I hope I've had it, got it right. It is serious, but it is gracious, this message that Jesus has. He has come to save us from hell. And sometimes we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're not going there. Let us come to Scripture, come to church, have, the, have grace shared to us, supplied to us. There's means that, grace, that God has given for God's grace to be delivered to us. Don't forsake fellowshipping with the saints where we can speak to each other, challenge each other, encourage each other, building each other up with hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. But if you're not Christ's, you're doomed. If you're not Christ's, then whose are you? Jesus is very clear here. The good seed is the seed that the sower he, the Son of Man, has sowed. And so I pray, again, knowing that I am so full of faults. That's why I describe myself as a crooked stick. It takes God to draw straight line the crooked stick. Please, this doesn't sound like a cheerful way to end a sermon and go into a song, but 
you need to see Jesus. You need to know him. And for those who do, then you have an eternity in God's barn, in God's kingdom to look forward to. And I really hope that everybody here, everybody here is looking forward to that. If you're not, run to Jesus. Practically, what does that look like? You can, if, if you, you pray to him, confess your sins. If you want to speak to a church leader, uh, then feel free. All we can do is point you to Jesus. All we will do is point you to Jesus. But we will help you. Gladly. But it's between you and the one who has forgiven your sins by dying for you. Amen.